Bordy. Hello and welcome to a special episode combining two podcasts I'm proud to work on. The Big Travel Podcast, on which we explore life stories through travel, and WTM Insights Podcast, on which we discuss the latest trends and travel news with people from the industry and more. That podcast is powered by WTM, of course, the people behind the world's biggest and most influential travel industry events. If you're listening via the Big Travel Podcast, do subscribe for free, of course, to WTM Insights Podcast. Podcast. And if you found us here via WTM, please subscribe to the Big Travel Podcast, where we have almost a hundred conversations with some well-known and interesting travellers. Now, our guest today is well-known and indeed interesting. It's Lucy Siegel, journalist and the UK authority on environmental issues. Lucy was one of the very first guests we had on the Big Travel Podcast, and she's back here now and also making her debut appearance on the WTM podcast. Now. 2019 was a year in which the travel industry found itself in the spotlight over its role in contributing to climate change. Tourists are now more aware than ever before of the environmental cost of air travel. Tourism contributes around 5% of greenhouse gases, according to the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. Air travel alone contributes to 2.5% of global emissions, and these predictions suggest that these stats are likely to triple by 2050. If important changes are not made. However, the tourism industry is responding in many diverse ways. For example, the Guardian travel section now primarily focuses on destinations that can be reached without the use of planes. EasyJet will carbon offset all flights by the end of 2020. Initiatives such as green tourism have seen a leap in membership and provide hoteliers with a green check meter to promote more responsible tourism practices and global. Global travellers are certainly more environmentally aware now. Environmental issues, I have to admit, they're a bit of an uncomfortable truth for us in the travel industry. So today we're taking the bull by the horns, as it were, and we're asking Lucy Siegel here to tell us just how bad it is and also what we can do about it. So environmental, the environmental impact on uh, travel, I think... It's very good that the travel industry is trying to tackle this head on. But I think we've also got some uncomfortable truths to face. And in facing those uncomfortable truths, hopefully we can make some headway into doing some stuff about it. But how, in your opinion, how, how bad is the travel industry for the world? How bad is the travel industry? Gosh, well... If you look at, um, we'll just start with the elephant in the room, shall we? I mean, if you look at aviation, you can say that aviation has a small part of the climate change pie in that it comes in at, what, 4%, something like that? So the 4%, you might say, well, you know, in fact, I've heard it said, well, that's equivalent to, say, the fashion industry or something like that. But we're in a very serious situation. I don't know if anyone's mentioned this to you, but <laughs> we all have to decarbonise really rapidly. So it doesn't matter what your slice of the pie is, you need to be getting it to zero, unfortunately. And aviation is one of the ones that's increasing and it's, it's increasing exponentially. So we could be seeing 
like a quarter of the world's carbon budget used up by aviation in the very near future. And that's not acceptable because you look at the amount of people that fly. So I think in the UK, it's something like 15% of the population takes 75% of the flights, something like that. Probably most of them by me. Mainly you. Yes, exactly. Um, So it's not fair, is it, that all of that carbon budget should be used up in that way. So that that is the really, really big existential and immediate issue for the travel and tourism industry is that it's predicated on flights, which have become cheaper and all the rest of it. And then you get into all very interesting territory about offsetting and where we are now, how much we need to decarbonise by. So you really can't get very far, ironically, when we're talking about travel, without coming across a very difficult brick wall. I know that this is the ladybird uh, version of um, environmental issues, but remind us why we need to decarbonise. Oh, so, yeah. So we are um, in the era of climate crisis. It's not the only crisis that's affecting the biosphere, as we call the planet. Um, We're also in the age of extinction uh, loss, uh, so rapid extinction loss of species, and we've got lots of different um, pressures. So the oceans absorb 90% of, of heat, and a report came out a couple of weeks ago, so that was in January, and we're now in February, and it, it was irrefutable evidence that the planet is, is, is warming, because you can test the atmosphere all the time, but there's lots of different factors which might account for the heating. When it comes to the oceans, that is a controlled experiment, ladies and gentlemen. And we had the hottest oceans on records since records began. And it is equivalent to exploding like thousands of Hiroshima bombs in the ocean. That's the amount of energy and heat that's now in the ocean. And this affects all sorts of things. So for people in the UK who only really like one sort of fish, which is cod, It means that if the oceans warm around the UK, the cod will swim off to colder climes and they all go to the Baltic states and we can't get any cod. So it has sort of knock on effects like that. But it is proof, incontrovertible evidence, that the world is warming and a warming world brings with it a lot of problems, including uh, higher incidences of diseases, uh, oceans rising, ice caps melting, Um, fires that burn hotter and are more widespread, as we've seen in Australia, etc., etc., etc. So, you know, Greta Thunberg says this, uh, so I'm going to say it. Um, But if... You were saying it first, by the way. No, I wasn't saying this first. She seems to have a wider platform. You have a great platform. Hers has exploded, but you you were saying it first, Do you know, it's so funny, because it's almost the anniversary of me meeting Greta Thunberg in Davos, up a mountain. And I said to my friend, this is absolutely legendary at this point, well, I don't think she's going to catch on. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) Yeah. My friend was like, "Mm, I don't know, I think she might. Anyway, like two days later, 32,000 kids marched in Belgium for Fridays for the Future. And I was already regretting my statement. Um, She just seemed so small. As in literally small. Literally small. Not one small young girl doing so much for mankind. She's actually small. She's actually small and she's very softly spoken, very unassuming. And 
yeah, I mean, what a presence, what an absolute force. And I really kicked myself that I squandered that. <laughs> did did <laughs> you feel the presence? You know, like in, you know, did you feel something around her? I know that sounds ridiculous, but people that have have got that power to to, you know, have an impact on so many people often do have something when they walk into the room. Yeah, I think so. But I think I was just being very defensive about it because I was always like, you know, what this kid, you know, I've been doing this for ages Join the queue. Hello. But I also... But now you're quoting... You were just about to quote her. And I will quote her in a minute. Yeah, she's an incredibly powerful um, force. And she... I remember her face and her being rather than... Another thing that's quite disarming is if you spend a lot of time around, um, you know, high-profile people with this charisma, they're quite jazz hands, She's not jazz hands at all. So I think I, was, I just took a while to understand what she was bringing. Um, but she's very, very good. And what I was going to say that she says, a lot of people ask me even, when is the climate crisis going to be over? It's not a moment. It is an era. This is the reality. So once you accept that as the reality, the climate era, what are you going to do about it? But we can't. We can't, we're not going to stop travelling. People are not going to stop travelling for fun, for work. The world is a very, a, a much smaller place than well, it was. Well, you might have was. to. Well, people might have to. But So look at what's happened this week with the coronavirus. So there's planes that are not taking off. From China. Like, China is basically closed at the moment, which is... Yeah, so um, there'll be a kind of carbon win for that in a way, because there'll be some fewer emissions. We're in a numbers game now, so you've got to... You've got to look at these things. But, you know, there's an example very, very recently where we might say we're not going to travel, but actually you're not going to travel. So there's a number of scenarios that might happen where you won't be able to travel. So what's very difficult at the moment is that it's just all on us making the decision not to travel, you know, and you may have children who are very inspired by Greta or you might be parents who are very inspired by Greta, making a decision to take a train journey instead of uh, jumping on a plane. And these are all really interesting personal kind of points of manoeuvre and negotiation at the moment within families and stuff like that. And it will be very interesting to see how the travel industry, which I'm sure I shouldn't talk about as if it's a big homogenised thing, because I know it's very sort of nuanced, there's lots of different parts of it, but they've got to kind of surf this weird uh, moment with us, really. And we have got to come up with more inventive products. We've got to come up with more different ways of doing things. And we've got to look at some tough options. People are responding, and this is very good to hear. Apparently, The Guardian travel, of course, you have a long history with The Guardian and The Observer. Uh, The Guardian travel section now primarily focuses on destinations that can be reached without the use of planes. I didn't mm. know that. Did mm. you know that? Yeah, I did know that. I yeah. think that's... Was, are you instrumental in that? I know you've got a long history with them. Would you? No, I've no. got absolutely no influence or impact <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. EasyJet is saying they'll carbon offset all flights by the end of 2020. Tell me about carbon offsetting. Is it any good? Well, carbon offsetting is... Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? So it certainly eases the conscious a bit. Well, so carbon offsetting, the whole point of that is that you are offset or you pay um, for a part of your flight, the carbon penalty of your flight. And then the money would go into a fund 
that would take carbon out of the atmosphere somewhere else. It's a big planet, actually. So there should be lots of opportunities because we need to decarbonize, get carbon out of the atmosphere any which way we can to get to these numbers for the Paris Agreement. Um, but it is fraught with problems. Offsetting has a long and checkered history, even longer than my history with the Observer and Guardian, which you just alluded to, and possibly even more checkered, if you can believe that. <laughs> even more checkered. Even more checkered. But the... the you may remember sort of back in the early noughties that some celebrities are kind of bought into schemes where you could offset your tour by planting a forest in Scotland. And then there was this great sort of expose, I think in the Sunday Times, I may have got that wrong, but where they basically uncovered that enough trees were not being planted, the forests were dying because a tree will only absorb carbon dioxide for the time that it is alive. Older established trees are better than younger trees. Different species are better. It's a very complex calculation. Trees are good, let's That's just say that. I didn't know that about the older trees because, of course, everyone's talking about planting new trees and yeah, yeah and replacing the trees that we're using for, for other industry. Yeah, so it's basically about when it comes to locking carbon in the ground, there's certain species, certain ages where a tree will be most as productive about taking carbon and locking it into the ground, sequestration, as we call it, carbon sequestration. Um, there's also an interesting thing about accounting for the carbon that flights emit. So the aviation industry and shipping have been outside of all the protocols and all the number crunching that's been done around stuff like the Paris Agreement. So they've lobbied and negotiated a special deal. Don't worry about us. We're not really that significant. Yes, you are. Because now that we're in a climate emergency era, we've come to realise that we very urgently need to look at these sectors in particular. So We've also had this problem where carbon offsetting lost a lot of ground and became a little bit of, um, uh, not a joke, but something that people thought was a bit like snake oil. You know, you hear that phrase, snake oil salesman. And it wasn't very effective. I would have said that we lost about 10 years in really understanding carbon offsetting and carbon sequestration and getting well, some really that, interesting products. Because of sort of basically dismissing it. Yeah, once something's got a really bad reputation as being fake, you stop flows of investment going into it. So then all the really smart people have gone off and done something different like Bitcoin or, I don't know, trainers that glow in the dark or whatever <laughs> these, you know, these people do, these bright young people. They haven't been sitting there talking about carbon offsetting. Maybe that's a problem. So now that carbon offsetting is hot again, because the planet is very hot, as I keep saying, um, a lot of the products coming out, I feel like, oh, yeah, I saw these 15 years ago and they haven't much changed. There's a little bit more um, certification, policing going on. So you should always, if you're going to offset, make sure it's going into a gold standard offsetting scheme. But... Then that brings the question, is offsetting um, worth doing? So Greta Thunberg would say, and I think this is echoed by Responsible Travel, which is a very um, long-standing 
sustainability travel brand in the marketplace run by Justin Francis, founded by Justin Francis. I think their take is that offsetting is actually doing more harm than good because it's sending a message to the aviation industry, which is we will keep using your product whether or not offsetting actually works and you'll find a way to deal with this eventually, won't you? And we'll keep the emissions coming and keep them going up in this upward trajectory, which is everything that we shouldn't be doing. And yeah, please get more fleets. Let's also develop more runways. And this is the exact opposite of what needs to happen. So it's not just about having a product. When it comes to decarbonizing and environmental products, it's not just about having a product which promises at some point down the line to make things a little bit better or better or compensate. We have to have products, vision, a possibility of taking the carbon out now. Because actually a win, a slow win for climate is the same as a loss. We're committed to a certain amount of of emissions already. And the more emissions we pump in, the more we commit to. Aviation is a really weird one because depending on what height a plane flies in the stratosphere, you can the the emissions can be amplified. So it's really complicated. And it's also depending rate. on the weight and how many people are on the flight. Yeah, and all, all of that. Yeah, it's although very they're pretty, you know, they're pretty good. Like they don't run apart from Learjets, they're not going to run empty flights. You know, I certainly won't name the airline, but they'll definitely cancel the 5am from Belfast if they don't feel there's enough people on it. I've seen people on travel Facebook groups that I'm um, members of recently on completely empty flights in the States. Oh, really? One person was on a flight reasonably, (coughs) you know, of over two hours and they were the only person on the flight, Mm. the only person. Mm. But what can you do? You you know, if you cancel it, there's a whole Mm. other, you know, there's all Mm. sorts of things. Offsetting is allowing business as usual. It's allowing flying as usual. It's not really sending any messages to the market. Okay, we could have developed a separate market, which may have been more interesting than it was now. Perhaps we've missed that opportunity. But actually taking offsetting as what it is, it's also very hard to prove that it's also taking out carbon in a village in Madagascar where you've changed the cooking fuel. We're talking about that village in Madagascar. Although tourism, travel and tourism has done a lot of damage and, you know, we've got the whole over tourism issue at the moment in places like Barcelona, in Venice and also more remote places where thanks to, you know, one Instagram post, people are are trampling the, you know, the flora and fauna and chucking plastic and trying to get that photo. But also travel and tourism has done a lot of good for people and there are communities all around the world that are reliant, for better or for worse, now reliant on tourism and I do think that it's uh, it's not going to we're not going to stop traveling because I anecdotally I know loads of people that aren't flying now loads of families that are choosing to take the train which actually might be sometimes a more expensive option if you're not uh, lucky or or careful Uh, and people that are traveling in the UK people that make sure that they only go and stay in a a very conscious resort you know make sure that the hotels they're staying in and hotels and resorts are you know making an effort to do this but I think also because you, you've got your average 
family that just wants to go on a two-week break to the Costa del Sol and is mm. not thinking mm. about carbon offsetting mm. for better or for worse or where they're staying. What do you think we can do? What do you think the travel industry can do? What do you think we can do as travellers to to help this become more of a, you know, to, to, to help the sort of movement in travel and tourism gain momentum if we don't necessarily stop travelling altogether? Well, I mean, there's a lot to unwrap there, but I think there we, is, yeah. I think we need to I think we need to be really honest with ourselves. You know, when we think about anything now, whether you work in the tourism industry, where whatever, I understand there's a lot of fear around because change for business can often be accompanied by a lot of fear. So we're thinking, oh my god, you know, what's going to happen five years, ten years down the line? So you just said something really interesting before. You've said many interesting things, but one of the things, obviously, as you always do, but one of the things that leapt out was the word reliant. We've got these communities that are now reliant on tourism. They're very vulnerable, aren't they? Because I tell you what, the moment that area floods or there's a natural disaster, we know there's more energy in the system, there's more likely to be extreme weather events. Um, You know, whether they're reliant on us, we're not reliant on them. So they'll be the first to be hit and they'll be the first to be abandoned. And I'm really, really sorry to say it, but those communities, the travel industry has a responsibility to those communities that are reliant to make sure that they are on the front line of climate mitigation. They're getting access to everything they need in terms of what they're going to do if the sea levels rise and they are rising. So we need to take this really, really seriously. And for me, and I work and I know a lot of people who are involved in the travel industry, I say to them, knowledge is power. Do not think, anytime you find yourself thinking in the old way, as if the backdrop wasn't climate emergency, as if that wasn't the era that we were in, check yourself and look at it from a slightly different perspective. So rather than coming to things thinking, I'm not going to stop doing this, I'm still going to be doing this, or I need this to continue, we've got to start thinking as if we're about to be hit by a meteorite and we've got to start thinking in a really disruptive way. It's always better to disrupt before you are disrupted. Um, and I know that sounds a bit like, Wah! but that's, that's the situation that we are in. There's always gains and there's always losses throughout the travel industry. There's always resorts that are doing well. There's always resorts that are in decline. And this is going to be a much faster, faster speed of things. Actually, people in the travel and tourism sector are really agile thinkers by and large because they have had to be. They've had to be. So, but, you know, agile thinking and being able to make, create and then leave and move on to something else and and, and change your plans is really, really important. So I think smaller resorts are going to have a slight advantage. I know resorts like Suneva, I know them well in the Maldives. Uh, One of my friends has done a lot of sustainability work with them. They are part of a big pioneering plastics project to switch the tap off. They're not saying, let's do something a little bit different with plastic. Let's have a different sort of plastic or try and recycle what we've got. They're just going, hello, no plastic, turn the tap off. And it's becoming a model for island communities. So there's lots of things that are going on. But it's like investment, like investment in sustainability people, in people that grow food, 
in desalination plants, in renewable energy. These are the things we need to see going into those places. And it's not so you can slap a sticker on and go, your carbon footprint for this holiday is half of what it might have been. It's to make those communities resilient because they're on the front line. That's that's the way round it needs to be. So as consumers of travel, we need to change our outlook. We need to be more generous. Because when you book a holiday now, what will I get? What will I get? Will I like it? Will it fit with, you know, my 12-year-old, my 9-year-old? All completely understandable. We need to think of it differently now. If we don't want to stop travelling. And we don't want to stop travelling because there are so many benefits of travel. And I, Such as? Well, I think that it makes the world a smaller place. I think that it helps to combat prejudice. I think that if you, um, you know, take the train, for example, from here to China... You can see the landscape changing, you can see the people changing, you can see their eyes and hair and skin colour changing, you can see more that we're all one. So I think from a cultural point of view, travel is incredible like that. It's just Mm. from an environmental point of view, we are going to have to change things and we're going to have to face these hard truths and face them head on because it is the consumer can only do so much but yeah i think some like even cultural uh, products become impoverished really quickly if they're not really really guarded and and nurtured you know i mean look at you know you, you saw venice last year it's not venice's fault but you know these massive cruise ships are banged into it do you know what i've been in venice and looked down the road you know down the end of the canal and just been horrified that there's like a a massive apartment high-rise apartment block floating and and, and suddenly realize oh my god it's a cruise ship you know it's actually quite shocking when you see them coming down the end of the canal it really is shocking yeah so i mean of course it is flooding it's sinking yeah i mean i i I find it quite distressing, actually, to go there now with the mindset that I'm in. Well, this is a, this is Thanks, a growing Greta. trend in, in traf- travel, is that, you know, and hopefully this is a growing trend, not just through us in the travel industry who are overthinking things, or not overthinking, you know, rightly overthinking things, but hopefully one of the trends in travel this year and from now on is the instead of, you know, instead of Barcelona, which is really struggling with the weight of tourism, go to Valencia, you know, instead of... The, the Venice, you know, go to Milan, obviously they're completely different places, but, it, you know, think of these sort of things, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the places where people, not just for environmental issues, but for culturally and socially, socially people are getting overwhelmed by tourism, by Airbnb, you know, taking away their, their ability to rent cheap apartments, you know, to, to have the accommodation in their own city. All of these things, you know, we're gonna, we are thinking about them. We're going to have to think about them more. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a massive shift taking place, isn't there? Well, I hope there is. I, ho- I think there is. Well, I, mean, I don't know whether it's not just because positive. we're within that. No, I mean, not always positive, but there's, there's obviously a massive shift taking place. What I meant was sort of like Airbnb and stuff like that. And people, oh, absolutely. people now using Instagram to decide where they're going to go and stuff like that. So you get very different um, feeling for places. And you want a very different thing. So if, as I understand, does happen, is people are going to get specific Instagram shots. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that way, the end of the world lies. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Sorry to be judgmental. No, no, it's true. But I think there is, I'm hoping, I'm seeing a backlash against that. But Mm. every day, even this morning, I got another press release from a travel PR person saying the most Instagrammable forests in Europe. And it's become this thing. But already, as someone in the travel industry, already that's starting to feel a little bit passe. 
you know, and again, right. I don't know. It's because I am on top of, mm. you know, in, of these issues, even though I, I, I don't always walk the walk. I'm, you know, reading about them and mm. the changes happening with me, like with other people, mm. maybe too slowly, obviously, for people like you. No, I don't think so. I think I think that, you know, I think that it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, some of the content I see around travel on social media is actually is actually hilarious in some respects. So I looked at something recently about Botswana and there was someone on a trip and as they were coming into land, they they got they they got mixed up with their places so that they'd said that um, the the airport was this city and there's like four shacks in coming into this runway and they were like, oh here's the capital. <laughs> and then the social media commentary underneath it was absolutely hilarious from people who are actually from there or from the city. And you know, you get a lot of immediate feedback, don't you? You do get a lot of immediate feedback. And sometimes I feel really sorry, I don't want to sound patronizing, but for some of the um the social I know some of them are very good but some some of the influencers who were who are not experienced travel journalists like you are because it actually travel journalism is incredibly demanding you've got to get all your facts right you've got to be geographically aware you've got to be culturally aware you've got to get all your prices and your basics and cross your eyes and, and sorry other way around <laughs> dot your eyes and cross your t's because people might book holidays on your recommendation and it will be on you if their annual holiday budget goes down the kazi and it's really hard it's really really hard and it's a demanding job and that lack of professional that the democratization of that has resulted in a in a bit of a wild west i think it's very very interesting and that social media is having that effect on a lot of industries isn't it but you're right and and gosh you know we can't even get into this but the whole brexit thing and the the demise of belief in experts you know has been a problem but you are an expert so you'll feel it much more keenly than anyone else but you know, the, there's a lot of extra waste in all of these things because of that shift. So, you know, I was talking to, there's an amazing project just to completely segue into something that's not connected at all. But the University of Bristol are doing this amazing thing on digital waste. Now that we're all consuming digitally, so we're, you know, streaming, uploading to the cloud, everything, every minute, you know, even the amount of extra emails that we send just saying thanks for the email don't send it if we stop doing that we could knock off like 16,000 tons of carbon a year or something ridiculous but who knows they're creating digi waste if you watch i'm terrible i'm pointing at this large tv screen here this ancient television i will listen to the radio on that and that's bad because i'm creating i'm using surplus energy when i'm not even looking at the screen YouTube, you know, if you listen to music on YouTube and are ignoring the image, you're creating digital waste. We're doing this all the all the time. Yeah, it's something people don't even think about. Is so it? many waste we will be streams, about it. which we don't think about. And it is relevant to the travel carbon. industry. If you think of, you know, the, the all the booking and the online searching, you know, yeah. that we do, and the, you know, like you said, the email, the the text message or WhatsApp message that has to go to America and back before it it's sent to you and me sitting here or somewhere. It goes somewhere, doesn't it? If I was, yeah, of course. Now, all powered by data to, servers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's shocking. But also. If you go on a holiday that you don't really get anything out of and it didn't really work out, that's a massive waste, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. 
Yeah, of money, of time and of environmental resources. Imagine in the future if we're all on carbon budgets. If you're given a designated carbon budget and you have to spend yours really carefully. Well, I don't mind. What would your holiday look like? For me, that's, you know, I don't eat meat. I never hire a car when I'm abroad. I don't have a car here. I don't, I always rely on public transport, but I fly every few weeks for work. I'd like to sort of add that up with someone that has meat twice a day and drives to the shops, you know, for example. You'd be way over, I'm afraid. Ah, damn. Ah, sorry. <laughs> Flying's a real pain, isn't it? It is, isn't it? I'd, well, you know, people want to get the train. I'd love to get the train but um you, you know, need an is. extra two days it's and it's the money as well it's actually more expensive you know flights are comparatively a lot cheaper i did look at it last year for going somewhere going to italy for my friend's 50th and i looked at the train and then i realized that the amount of money i'd be spending was huge and that i'd be crossing the alps at night so i wouldn't be able to see it <laughs> so i didn't do it i thought you were going to say you'd be crossing the alps at night and i thought there was going to be some sort of environmental impact uh, versus crossing them in the daytime. Maybe because you'd have to have lights on in the train. Because I have faith in you, Lucy. I know how no. you take this seriously enough I just thought, to, to worry about well, the train I would, lights. But now I, would, now I would worry more about the train lights. And now, now I've I would mentioned do it. it. <laughs> now I would do it. I'd just say, can you turn your lights on so I can see the mountains? No, I would do it now because the imperative is now strong enough that I'm not putting myself first. Yes, and that's what we've all got to think about. That's how we've all got to look at it. Everyone thinks about different things, you know, and it's... Well, apparently we've got a, a few stats here. Global travellers are, are certainly more environmentally aware because uh, Booking.com say, uh, their stats say that 70% of global travellers would actively book accommodation that is environmentally friendly. And that's up from 31% in 2018. So that's a huge... Um, uh, difference. 37% of travellers say that an international standard for environmentally beneficial hotels needs to be created. Again, that's, you know, bringing it from the top downwards. And 63% of travellers believe that through travelling in a more environmentally conscious manner, they will learn more about local culture, language and pay greater respect to destinations. I mean, there are some wins for sure. So, you know, all-inclusive buffets have been shown to be really bad for food waste really and the amount per head that they allow for is i can't remember the stat but it's uh, there's 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 only a, a few limited studies on it but it's an it's an incredible number once you transpose that to a cruise ship or something like that then the figures get astronomical so if you are doing those deals you know i know it sounds a bit nerdy but you have to say to the hotel what is your policy on food waste Take an interest in what you're going to be eating tonight. Is, is, is the extra food going to end up in the community? Does it feed the people who work there? Because if it's just being shoveled into landfill and creating a waste crisis, that is really, really horrendous. We know that food waste is one of the big wins for climate. Like if we can, if we can half quarter stop food waste, then we're in a much, much stronger position. So that's another thing. I mean, there are things like some of the big hotel chains have looked at... Um, uh, plastic toiletries and all of that kind of stuff. They're, stop they're stopping those nice little bottles that people used to nick, but absolutely, you know, tiny little bottles of shampoo and conditioner that, and body lotion that they replenish every single day. That's well, they, a lot the, of the trouble is because of the turnaround time in, in cleaning hotel rooms, if you're cleaning that room, you don't have time to check the seal. This is how much pressure you're under and like, you know, use a bit of Miss Marple detective work 
to see if they've been opened and used. They don't have time generally to refill them, so they're just getting tossed into the trash. So there are in different countries. I know there's a scheme in the UK.、Uh, there is a person who goes round and organises collection. Instead of tossing them in the trash and refills them and then sells them on th- through a different accredited scheme, so we need more things like that. We need the hotel industry to open out and work with providers who understand waste because it's not their main thing. They're about hospitality. They're not constantly thinking about bins and where stuff is going. Work with someone who is like me. I know people who do that all the time. So more initiatives from the airlines, from the aviation industry, from the hoteliers, from the travel industry providers, and more. Do something unexpected, more collaboration. So, for example, at Stansted Airport, they have a lot of people coming through Stansted because they pretend it's a London airport. <laughs> That's open to debate, and people will buy all their jams and all their branded House of Commons chutney or whatever the hell people take. To、try and take it through customs, despite all the signs, because it's over the you know hundred millilitres. It all gets confiscated. People at Stansted don't want that to happen, so they came up with this sort of brilliant scheme where they basically take it to a food bank、uh, in Essex down the road. And I tell you what, the people who use the food bank. Always have、uh, value products, own label products. They love a bit of Fortnum and Mason chut- chutneys. So thank get- you to everyone who's had their stuff confiscated. It's gone to a really good home. And does that happen with cosmetics as well? Because a lot of people bring their cosmetics in through the、uh, yes. over a hundred mil. Yes, it does. Yes, so they're sorting them out and sending them through. I don't know about cosmetics because you might have to test them if they're open.、Oh, but yeah, un- true,、yeah. anything unopened. Is、um, is is finding a very a very nice home. That is not going to solve climate change. However, what a great scheme! And literally, just because people in the airport who understand about sustainability and waste thought, oh, here's an opportunity. So just to sum it all up, that's something. A, a few really good ideas there that people can follow. Just to sum it all up, what do we need to be doing? All of us need to be doing in in regards to travel and tourism. Wake up, think consciously, act as if there's a climate emergency because there is one. I'm not saying sit at home, and everyone's got their own different points of tolerance. But if that's if if that is your primary backdrop, you're going to start thinking differently and making different decisions. Then it's up to us and people who work in the industry to entice you with products and strategies that are going to help you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for that. That's a lot to think about, and I do hope that we will be thinking about it. And roads, inroads have been made already. Roads is a really bad word to use there. <laughs> <laughs> Making more footpaths through the complex requirements of the climate crisis that we will all have to continue to adapt to. Thank you so much, Lucy. We in the industry are definitely taking it on board. This has been a combined episode of the Big Travel Podcast and WTM Insights Podcast. Remember, you can listen to all our episodes for free for both podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. So do subscribe to both if you're not already, and please feel free to leave us a review. We absolutely love reviews. Thank you so much for listening. Both podcasts will be back shortly with new episodes. 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.